I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome to KSL Plus, the digital-only news show where we dive deep into some of the biggest issues of the day. I'm Matt Rascone, and today we're talking about some of the challenges in special education. You may have seen this story earlier this month. A group of parents in the Jordan School District launched a petition that got nearly 54,000 signatures. Parents went after the district for saying it would move the Life Skills and Peer Mentoring Program, a program for students with disabilities, out of two neighborhood schools and consolidate them into programs at other schools in the district. The district ultimately reversed that decision. All six high schools will keep the life skills program and the, the peer tutoring programs. They will stay in the high schools. Weeks ago, my colleague Debbie Worthen spoke with Oakley Peterson, the mom of a boy with Down syndrome, who helped lead that charge for change. He's been with the district since pre-K and he's been to four different schools and he's in first grade. So we get shuffled around a lot. And I caught up with her again this week. A friend of mine down the street has a typical son who's the same age as Wells, and they're just like best buds. They really have gravitated towards each other. And um, her son kept asking her, why can't Wells, why doesn't Wells go to school with me? Scarlett does, his big sister does. Ames, his little brother's going to school with us next year. Why doesn't Wells get to come with me to school? And she said, I just, she told me this, and she said, I just didn't have a good answer. What should I be telling him? And it's always bothered me, and I've always thought, okay, Maybe by like third, fourth grade, maybe we can like get him over to the school with his sister and brother. Um, you know, and, and then when she started, it really hit me hard. Like, this is not okay. Why can't my son go to school? Why can't he be accepted in his community where his brother and sister can? The most basic right, education. Why, why can't my son enjoy that? Um, so we went to the district to a board meeting and just very like, we thanked them for the great job that they're doing in these supported classrooms um, and for the resources that have been so great for him in his development. But we asked them, we said, why um, could we collaborate? Could we come together and find a way to spread um, these kids so that they're able to go in their community schools? Can we help bring resources, spread them out a little bit? Is there ways that we can collaborate together, knowing very well that these things take a lot of like, you know, we have to shift funding around. We've got to figure out um, how to um, shift teachers around. Like, knowing that it would be a task, but asking how us as parents and community members, and we had parents with typical um, mainstreamed kids also speak on behalf of how, why they want kids with different abilities in their um, kids' schools. How can we spread that out? So we went to the district looking for some steps um, in, as towards progression. Two days later... We start getting emails and messages on Instagram from parents who saw the board meeting and said, are you aware that our district is actually taking steps backwards? They're pulling kids out hmm. of high schools with different abilities and busing them to a di completely different city to go to school. So these are kids that their whole lives have been waiting for this experience because we've always been told this, that once they get to the high school level, there is um, resources for all different abilities in our district at every single high school. So to hear that they're stripping that away, taking steps backwards, steps towards segregation, taking these kids and busing them to a different city altogether, 
was so, I mean, every emotion, like angry, like enraging, um, devastating to think, oh wait, my son is actually never going to get this opportunity to be with his siblings and his community and the kids who protect him and love him on his street. He'll never have that opportunity. So we were just devastated. And we said, this is absolutely not okay. Um, and we asked them, we sent letters to everyone on the board, to the superintendent, to the woman um, over the head of special education who we knew made this decision, and crickets. No mm. response. There's a big problem with districts not hearing um, community members and parents. Um, and we just are simply not okay with that anymore. It's not going to work. We don't get to bulldoze the special needs families anymore. We're done being shifted around. We've got a friend with Down syndrome who graduated from Harriman High and in um, by the time he graduated high school, had been to 13 different schools living in one home. Mm-hmm. Would that be okay with any parent who has typical, typically developing kids? Would you be okay? I mean, really think about that. Would you be okay if every year they said, oh, no, your kid doesn't get to go to school with the kids on this year. We're going to send them over here this year. And then next year we're going we're to decide there's not enough capacity over there, so we're going to send them to this school over here. And then we're going to decide, oh, we're going to move the hub schools. We're going to consolidate. Nobody would be okay with that. But this is like what we've had to deal with for so long that people in our community have just gotten used to it. And I think that this was like, okay, we're not just staying still and not making progress. We're actually moving backwards. And we just said, this isn't going to work. This is not okay. And everyone who we explained this to, I kept thinking someone was going to give me pushback. But everybody was like, you're right. That's not okay. People with, I mean, most of the support we got was from um, families who don't have anyone with different abilities. Um, community members, they just rallied. It was like the most beautiful thing to watch people just rally for your child and other children and to realize that this is actually just as important for them and their kids' educational experience as it is for people who have kids with different abilities. The effect is incredible. The effect that our kids with different abilities have on typically developing individuals is something that you can't replicate. It's so special. It's so important especially at you know, this high school level as they're doing this, these kids are <laughs> need every reason they can to get outside of themselves and to do something incredible like peer mentoring. And that's something that you take that program, right? You're taking away that opportunity for them to possibly want to go into special education or into physical therapy or speech therapy. You're taking away career paths. Um, you're taking away friendships, lifelong friendships. It's so important. And you've got these kids with the most impressionable young age missing that opportunity because... You know, this school over here doesn't have a program. We want to work with these schools and these districts. And actually, I think the schools want to work with us, too. From what I'm hearing, all the administrations and teachers, they do. They want these kids there. This is something that's got to be corrected on a... um, on a state, um, the Board of Education level, uh, legislative um, work needs to be done, and district. Yeah. It's really the people who are actually on the ground, they want these kids there. What do you think made the difference um, for the school district to then reverse the decision? What about, because this has happened, of course, in other districts. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. What, what made the difference to... Uh... Yeah, we were told the day before by somebody who has worked in the district for 26 years or worked on, on the Utah Board of Education, like, good luck, you're not going to be able to reverse this. And we were devastated. I mean, the morning of, we were figuring out all of our local legislators trying to think. We were just desperate the morning that they reversed it, thinking, I don't know if they're ever going to reverse this. What are we going to do? How is this happening in 2021? This is like borderline civil rights situation in 2021 and then 
they reversed it. And I really believe it's the power of social media. Word just spread quickly. And um, there was a huge um, impact from um, the social media influencers in Utah just spreading the word. We had Joe Ingalls um, posting, this is not okay, we're better than this Utah. Um, people um, were on higher levels were starting to get word, catch wind, and I think that the district really realized, oh, we're in a pickle, or maybe they woke up and realized we need to do the right thing. But I think it really was just the power of community. I think um, them seeing how much the community, this does matter to the community, and this isn't okay with our community. We're not gonna allow this or stand for this anymore. Yeah, I'm thinking about your son. I mean, this doesn't change anything for him now though. No, no. And uh, where, where does that stand? Well, if I don't do something about it now, what are, what's going to happen when he is in high school in a few years? I mean, yeah, no, this doesn't affect my family. This decision with the district, this big overturn, is not directly affecting my family this year. But we have to stand up now and make steps toward progress now so he is able to have those opportunities. And if he's not, I'm darn well going to make sure that the kids after him with different abilities are. This is important. These kids changed lives in a way that other there's just no way to replicate. And I want, I want my kids who are typically developing and going to go, I want them to experience kids with all different abilities, not just my son, but I want them to have that experience and that, um, that those like relationships formed for them. I want them to, to experience that. Yeah. What would it mean to have Wells be at the same school as, as the neighbors? It's like, sadly, that it's like, it would be such a dream to have him go to school with his friends, the kids who love him. I love where he's going. I know that people love him there, but I don't know them. That's not our neighborhood. That's not our immediate community. It's a good one. One mom put it like this. What if there was this beautiful community center built and your whole family could go, except for one of your kids? They couldn't go. It was so fun. It was wonderful. It was where your kids were gaining a lot of life experiences, but only one of your kids wasn't allowed in that building. They could go to this one over here, this community center, which was also beautiful and wonderful, but they couldn't be, would that be okay with anybody? Why does it have to be okay with us? Why is that something that we're just accepting? The kids, these kids all belong. They belong. What if, what if you were told you didn't belong because, you know, you had different interests than all the other kids in your class? Would that be okay? Or what if it was because of your religion? Would it be okay that you didn't belong in your classroom or the color of your skin or or your, you know, your family background, would that be okay? No, why is it okay with the special needs kids? I know that it takes resources to educate them, but they are general education students before they're special education students. And they have that right to be in their local schools. And we wanna work with, the, we wanna work with our legislators, with our districts, with our Utah Board of Education. We can make it work, I know we can. But I think that this movement was a wake up call. Oh wait, we don't have to accept this. We can't expect better for our kids. We can fight for better. Our kids deserve better. All the kids in our community deserve the light of those kids in their schools. And we can do better. And it, I mean, really, yes, this was completely a community effort that reversed this decision. People realized it and they were angry about it. They were upset. They were upset. Yeah. Yeah. Still more work to do, it sounds like. Oh, we have a lot more work to do. But it was a great, like, first, like, um, First victory, like a, a, it, it really woke us all up to like we have the power to make change. 
We have the power. We have the community behind us. We have people that realize that better can happen. And if we work together and link arms, we can really create some real progressive change. For many people who don't have a disability or a child with a disability, how we create equitable access to education is probably not an issue that's top of mind. So in fact, Salt Lake City Schools did something similar, consolidating special education programs into specific schools within the district, creating hubs of sorts. So as someone with a disability, and you'll likely hear stories of fighting for access from everything from education to healthcare, and rarely do thousands of people show up to help. So what does that equal access to education actually look like? What's required by law? And what should we be doing simply because it's the right thing to do? To answer that question today, like most issues of the day, it's important to look back at history. Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act was signed into law in 1973, the first civil rights bill for people with disabilities. But the bill went largely unenforced. Both the Nixon and Carter administrations dragged their feet on putting regulations in place that would allow the law to be enforced. In April 1977, disabled activists across the country held rallies at health, education, and welfare offices. Activists in San Francisco stayed in the offices for nearly a month, the longest sit-in in U.S. history, before regulations were finally put in place. More robust protection under the law didn't come until the Americans with Disabilities Act was signed in 1990. You can learn more about the disability rights movement in the Oscar-nominated documentary, Crip Camp. In schools, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act ensures schools receiving federal funding provide students with disabilities a free, appropriate public education. So, and this doesn't just apply to students we typically think of as having a disability. This actually includes students with diabetes, injured students, students with health problems like cancer or other chronic conditions. The goal is to try and prevent, you know, segregation. That's Nate Krippis, a staff attorney for Utah's Disability Law Center. Unfortunately, I don't know that um, it's always worked that way. Um, but, you know, when you talk about least restrictive environment, I think there's a, a, a correlating provision in um, the, or the ADA and 504 that's talking about serving people in the most integrated setting appropriate to their needs. Um, and so there's, you know, there's this idea in the ADA that um, the, the unnecessary segregation is unlawful. And I think the IDEA says, you know, you should provide an education to a student in the least restrictive environment that is appropriate. Um, and so I think the, the goal always should be, um, or, you know, I think what people would like to see is students who have an IEP, students who are in special education, also spending at least a good portion of their time in the general education classroom, um, would be the, the goal. Now, you know, these are individualized. And so certain students are going to have certain, you know, have, have different plans. And so that it's not going to look the same for everyone. Um, but, the goal, I think, always is, is to try and provide it in the least restrictive environment, the place where they have the most uh, interaction um, with their their non-disabled peers. Um, you know, I and oftentimes, yes, I mean, you find, you know, the district will put, um, you know, all the students with IEPs in, you know, a, a certain subset of schools. Uh, and, and so certain kids can't go to, um, you know, the school that their sibling goes to because they have to get their services at another school. Um, I always, you know, I think about this and if I understand that there is a, a desire to say that, oh, this is, you know, this is where we provide those services. 
But when I look at it and say, if you, you don't see school districts setting systems now where we say, um, well, if you're a person of color, this is the school you go to. Um, but if you're not, you don't go here. And, and I guess I always struggle with how um, disability is seen differently. Um, that we can say, no, you can go to this school or you can be served here because of your disability. And I get they're not, they're not exactly the same. There, there are certain differences. I'm not trying to say that they can be, you know, equated perfectly. Um, but at the end of the day, I think what we're trying to, what we would like to see with the IDEA and with ADA and 504 is that students um, should go to the school that is their neighborhood school. Um, they should receive their services in the general education classroom for as much of that as they as is appropriate to what kind of the team that that designs these services and supports can can make it. I think a diverse classroom is a stronger classroom. Christine Knapper is a middle school English language learner teacher in the Beaverton, Oregon School District. She graduated from BYU with a degree in special education and is the author of a kid's book about disabilities. She also has a disease called spinal muscular atrophy and has used a wheelchair basically her entire life. And while currently she doesn't specifically teach special education classes, she says basically every teacher teaches kids who need different support systems to help them be successful in the classroom. On one end of the spectrum, you have the idea that all students with disabilities should be kept in a completely segregated environment where they're in a you know, special ed class exclusively and never interact with the rest of the school. And I think at this point, most of us agree that that's not the ideal um, but that's actually terrible in those cases. Um, and then on the far other end of the spectrum, you have what would be called full inclusion, where a student is in completely mainstream general ed classes. Um, and for some kids, that makes perfect sense. For many kids, that makes perfect sense. Um, as long as they're getting the accommodations that they need, if they can be successful in the mainstream classroom, and that's where they should be. Um, but also for many kids, the answer is somewhere in between the two. Um, there's many different kinds of special ed classes and settings and supports can be available. Um, for some students, it makes sense to be in mainstream classes for the majority of their day um, and touch base with a special ed teacher, maybe for one class a day or for some even just like once a week um, to get the support that they need. Um, for other students, it makes sense to spend the majority of their day in a special ed classroom where they're with their disabled peers um, and getting instruction at their level but they're able to join mainstream classes for electives and PE. Um, some kids are able to join for maybe one academic class. I mean, just it looks so different for every kid. There's so much variety. Um, and I get concerned actually when, uh, I mean, in special education or with any students who have disabilities, they are supposed to have an individual plan written for them um, that explains what their educational needs are, what accommodations they need to get their needs met. Um, and that's supposed to be based on the student's needs. But often when a student changes schools or especially changes districts, the first thing that happens is their plan gets rewritten because suddenly their needs are different, meaning this district offers something different. And if the student's plan is being based on what the district has already decided is appropriate, then that kind of feels like a tail wagging the dog situation. Um, I mean, you're never going to get the complete ideal where the entire school can accommodate to every single kid in every way that's perfect for them. I realize ideals don't exist, but that is the ideal. And that's what we should be striving toward and getting, trying to get closer to. Um, so when students change school districts, 
her entire model of education ideally wouldn't change because it should be based around what they need, um, both for to meet their academic needs and their social needs. All of those things should be part of the picture. So something I've noticed um, in our school district is we have a lot of specialized um, special education programs. Because we're a large district, we're able to have very targeted programs to kids with certain needs. Um, and again, the same kind of flexibility where they may or may not spend their whole day in that program. Um, but programs that meet kids' needs. But there are very specific numbers, how many kids it takes to open a new classroom or to keep a classroom open. So there will be, you know, a given program and maybe we have enough numbers this year to have three of them spread throughout the middle schools in the district. And then next year, there's two fewer students and that takes us below the limit. So now we have to close one program and now there's only two and it changes so frequently with just a very small change in student numbers. We're constantly opening and closing and moving programs around. Um, so the special ed teachers and special ed students often get changed frequently from one school to another, which is hard on any kid. Like all kids benefit from the stability of being in a, you know, a constant school environment and feeling part of the culture and all of that but 10 times more so for a student who would qualify for these specialized programs. Like these are often the students who need and crave consistency and stable routines the most, and often they get it the least. Being around people who've had a different experience than you, who approach the world differently from you, um, I think that helps your learning experience, like no matter who you are and where you're coming from, um, you're able to see through the eyes of the people around you. Um, a lot of times students with disabilities have a very creative problem solving ability. I know that I've had to solve problems in creative ways my whole life um, due to my own disability. Um, and I mean, that rubs off and it helps people around you to notice things that they wouldn't have noticed otherwise, to approach problems in ways they wouldn't have approached them otherwise. Um, kids who've been around peers with disabilities become more aware of other people's needs or better able to meet other people's needs. Like it just is such a better learning experience. And having a diverse group of disabilities around doesn't just benefit the non-disabled school community, but the disabled school community as well. Most people who grew up with a physical disability, a learning disability of any sort, they don't always have that just built in role modeling and sense of community. And you can end up feeling like the only person um, going through what you're going through. Like no one's ever done this before. Um, so when you're able to meet other people who, whether it's the same disability or even if it's completely different, just having somebody who shared those um, general experiences um, I think the disability community, quite honestly, would be stronger and be able to make more progress in the world as far as um, public policy and such if we broke down the lines a little more. Um, you know, I don't just identify with other wheelchair users or other people with SMA, but people who have all forms of disabilities. We share a lot of common interests. We share a lot of common perspective. Um, there's a lot that we have in common and that we can learn from each other. And... I think we'd be stronger if we spent more time working on things together. One of the most important roles we can all play in our school communities is paying attention 
to who is not in the room when decisions are made. I work in a rather large district. There's, it's a lot very diverse. There's a lot of different economic levels and racial groups and linguistic groups. We have about 100 languages spoken in our school district. Um, it's very diverse. Um, and there are definitely needs that get noticed and needs that go kind of under the radar and don't get noticed. Um, and that has a lot to do with um, a person or a group's sense of connection, um, who they know, uh, what opportunities they have to get their voices heard, how empowered they feel um, to speak up at a school board meeting or at um, a PTO meeting or any of these places. Um, whereas, you know, I'm an ELD teacher. I work with immigrant families. I work with a lot of parents who don't feel like school is a safe place that they know the system and are able to even follow what's going on or realize that things could be different if they asked for something different. Um, so I really would just, I guess, ask everybody um, to keep an eye on not only their own school, but the other schools in the district, um, not just your own child, but the other kids in the school. Um, what opportunities are being given to some kids and not other kids? Um, who's being impacted by budget decisions? Who's being impacted by um, school boundary lines, by programs? Um, I mean, there's just so many, um, you know, political decisions to get made in a school district. But no matter what the decision that's going on, um, just to take kind of a wide view to how is this impacting all members of our community um, and trying to attend things like PTO meetings and such and find out who's not at those meetings and how can we get their voices there. Um, make connections with families in your community, um, make connections outside of your own circle, um, trying to elevate voices that might not be being heard as frequently. That does it for us this week here on KSL Plus. We'll see you again next week. 